The Sunday marks the beginning of the Advent season. In all honesty, I had no idea what the Advent season was until I came to this church. I, I kid you not, I grew up eating turkey on Thanksgiving Day, watching football, taking a nap, eating leftovers, and then waiting till Christmas Day came. I mean, that, that's just what we did at my house. So if you're like me, and you didn't grow up being taught about the Advent season, I'll give you a crash course, all right? The word Advent means coming or arrival. On the four Sundays before Christmas Eve, we remember the first coming or the first Advent of Jesus. Jesus brought hope, love, joy, and peace to this earth when he was born in Bethlehem. Bryson may have shared some of this with you in the children's sermon time when he lit the first of our candles on the Advent wreath. You'll notice on the Advent wreath the four candles um, in the wreath around the white candle in the center. Those four candles, three purple and one pink, symbolize the hope, the peace, the joy, the love that Jesus brought to this earth and that he will bring back with him when he returns. The white candle in the center represents Jesus himself, who is the light of the world. On these four Sundays of Advent, we also look forward to or anticipate Jesus' second Advent, his second coming. This second coming is his return to this earth, when he will reign in the fullness of his kingdom. When he comes, he will bring with him hope, love, joy, and peace. That's Advent, remembering that Jesus has come and anticipating his coming again. So on this first Sunday of Advent, we remember the hope Jesus brought to this world, and we place our hope in his return. Years ago, the famous preacher Dwight L. Moody told people that his sermons included the three essentials of the Christian faith, the book, the blood, and the blessed hope. The book is the Bible, its holy word that tells us God's truth. The blood is the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed on the cross to cover our sins and purchase our redemption. The blessed hope is the literal, visible, and promised return of Jesus Christ to this earth. One day Jesus is coming back. I don't know if you've heard that or not, but it's true. If you haven't heard it, hear it now. Jesus is coming back. As Christians, this is our blessed hope. So if you have your Bible this morning, I ask you to turn to Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 15. As I read these verses about taking hope in the coming of Jesus. Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 15. If you don't have a Bible or don't know exactly where to turn, the verses should be on the screen behind me so that you can follow along there. Titus chapter 2, verse 11. And the Word of God says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires, and to live sensibly righteously and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope 
and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus, who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. These things speak and exhort and reprove with all authority. Let no one disregard you. As we study these verses this morning, I want you to take hope in the coming of Jesus. And here's how you do that. You hold on to the promise of his coming. First, you hold on to the promise with expectancy. Hold on to the promise with expectancy. Take a second look at verse 13 and tell me what the first word is there. Verse 13, Titus chapter 2, what is it? Do what? Looking. We got, we got different translations out there, don't we? Good. Looking. What's the other one? Wait. Somebody said it. What's another one? Hope. No, what's the first word of verse 13? Somebody said wait. That's right. Somebody said looking. That's right. Is there, are there any other ones out there? Watching. While. All right. So something going on. All right, here's what these words mean, and here's why translators have translated them differently. It's to communicate the concept of intentionally looking for something. You're expecting something to happen. It's an intentional activity. It doesn't just mean waiting to see if something happens, but watching because you know something specific is going to happen. We ought to be looking for Jesus to return at any moment. You're expecting it to happen. Do we have any baseball fans in here? Other than me, I'll raise my hand every time that question. All right. It, one of my favorite times in, the, in uh, Major League Baseball is that last little time frame before the final out in the World Series. Like it... If the game is pretty much already decided at that point, you know, one team's got nine runs and the other team has two, you, the catcher and the pitcher are just, like, they're going to do what they need to do to make the final out, but they're just waiting for that moment. And if you guys have watched baseball, you know what that moment is. It's the moment when the final out is recorded, and every time, here's what I've seen happen. The catcher runs out to the pitcher's mound, and the pitcher starts to run towards him, and it's like one of those movie runs, you know, when they're just coming at each other. And they, they've just been waiting for this moment, for not just for the game, but for the whole season. And the catcher starts to scream like a girl. You know what I'm talking about? That, ah, we won. It's like Black Friday shopping for men. It's wonderful. And so what happens is the, the catcher runs straight at the pitcher, and then he jumps up in the air, and he bear hugs like with his legs and everything, bear hugs the pitcher. And all of the players come out from the dugout and from the bullpen and from the field, and they start to have a giant mosh pit there, right, right in the middle of the infield on the baseball diamond. Why do they do that? Because they're waiting with expectancy for the final out to be recorded, for the game to be over, for them to be the World Series champions. The reason we look or wait or watch or while all this stuff is going on, we're anticipating his coming, is because of the fact that Jesus came in the past. In other words, Jesus couldn't come back in the future if he hadn't already come beforehand. 
Reread the beginning of verse 11 with me. It says, for the grace of God has appeared. That is, it's already happened. Do you know when God's grace appeared? God has always been gracious, and he's always shown grace to people throughout human history. But do you know when the fullness of his grace appeared? Somebody whispered it, you're right. With the first coming of Jesus. When Jesus came to this earth, God's grace appeared. God had promised to send one who would save his people. One in whom the nations could place their hope. Listen to these verses from John chapter 1, verses 14 through 16. These verses describe how a man named John the Baptist was holding on to the promise of Jesus' coming with expectancy. John 1, 14 through 16. It says, And the Word became flesh. That is, Jesus became flesh. And He dwelt among us. And we saw His glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. John, the Baptist, testified about him and cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. For of his fullness we have all received, and grace upon grace. The grace of God appeared when Jesus came. When Jesus came to this earth, the grace or favor of God came bringing salvation to all who would believe in him. John the Baptist was actively seeking the moment that he could point with his hand and say, there he is. Look, that's the man I told you about, the one who is to come. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus is the grace of God manifest in human flesh. I wonder if we're holding on to the promise of his return with expectancy. Like John the Baptist was holding on to the promise of his arrival with expectancy. I mean, when you think about Jesus coming back, are you like the catcher sitting behind home plate just ready to meet him when he comes? I came across a book called Surprised by Hope some years ago. It's a theological book in which the main theme is the blessed hope of the resurrection and life in Jesus. In the book, author N.T. Wright gives a good analogy for the biblical word hope. This analogy he used to help define and describe what Christian hope is all about. And we need a good understanding of Christian hope. Because we use the word hope in all kinds of frivolous ways that make it seem useless. Uh, For example, I hoped that the St. Louis Cardinals would win the World Series this October. That didn't happen. They didn't even make it there. Is that the kind of hope that we have in the promise that Jesus will return? No. There's a whole bunch of people who have high hopes in the 2020 presidential election, right? Maybe even some of you here this morning, you hope that will keep America great, or you hope that America will be better than it has been the last four years. But here's the thing, even if your preferred candidate wins the election, you'll become disappointed at some point. Because at some point, the political candidate in whom people hope will prove to be an imperfect human being. Is that the kind of hope 
that the Bible portrays? Jesus wins, but he's not all we thought he was? No. The best analogy I've heard of hope, for biblical hope, comes from N.T. Wright's idea, and I'm sure he wasn't the first to come up with it, but it's the picture of the sunrise. No matter what today holds, what is sure to come out tomorrow? The sun. You want me to sing the song from Annie the Musical, or you got it? You guys, you know what I'm talking about. Did you ever have something real bad happen to you? You went through a difficult day in your life, and somebody said to you, don't worry, the sun will come out tomorrow. The sun may hide behind the clouds and the rain this time of year, but it's going to come out. It's going to rise in the morning. We can count on that. We know it. Now we're starting to get a handle on the biblical idea of hope and of what it means to hold on to the promise of Jesus' return with expectancy. Listen, you might not be sure of many things in this world. In fact, you can't be sure of some things in this world. Your team might lose the game. Your candidate might lose the election. You might lose your job. You might lose a friend. You might lose a loved one. You might lose your favorite toy. You might lose your good health. You might lose your phone. You might lose your mind. But if the promise that Jesus is coming back is your hope, then you'll never lose your hope because your hope is Jesus himself. We wait on him. We watch for him with expectancy. Jesus' return, think about this for a moment, Jesus' return is even more certain than the sunshine peeking over the horizon this morning. No matter what, Jesus is coming back. We ought to live as if the Son of Heaven might appear in the sky as the bright and morning star and the dawning of the Lord's day could occur at any moment. Are you looking for Jesus to return? Do you know that he already came down from heaven to this earth to show us God's grace? Do you realize that he is coming again to bring heaven with him to this earth? Take hope in the coming of Jesus by holding on to the promise with expectancy. Second, hold on to the promise with eagerness. The first coming of Jesus some 2,000 years ago and the future return of Jesus is something that affects our lives here and now. Because Jesus came in the past, salvation was made possible for all men. That's what verse 11 tells us. The grace of God has appeared bringing salvation to all men. But that salvation is not the finish line of the Christian faith. It's the starting point. The salvation from sin made possible by Jesus' first coming helps to discipline us where we are right now by instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires, like verse 12 says. We deny those things because those are the things that Jesus' grace saved us from and saved us out of. We don't go back to them. And we also live sensibly, righteously, and godly in this present age because His grace has changed our lives for His glory and for our good. There's nothing else that can satisfy us. 
Because Jesus will come in the future, salvation in heaven for eternity is sure. But that salvation doesn't allow us to live in sin however we want to now. It makes us want to live in holiness as God wants in the present. The salvation we are awaiting at Jesus' second return helps to cleanse us from sin and motivate us to do good. Read verse 14 again with me. It says, Christ Jesus who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. You know, there's the tendency of Christians nowadays and people who even aren't Christians who mock the Christian faith to look at people who believe that Jesus is coming again to this earth and they go, how long has it been since Jesus said that? A couple thousand years. There's two reasons that Jesus has not yet returned. The first reason is that he wants more people to be saved. He wants more people to be a part of his kingdom when he comes back to set up his kingdom. He is in the process of redeeming more people for himself. The second reason he has not yet returned is that he wants to continue changing you. He wants you to be set apart and to serve him and others even more than you're already doing so right now. We ought to be eager for Jesus to come back at any moment, but we also ought to be eager to point more people to Jesus every moment until he returns. Jesus has already purchased your redemption by dying on the cross for your sins, but have you experienced that redemption? Are you saved? If you are saved, what areas of your Christian life need to be purified because they're ungodly and unclean? Now listen, I'm not going to judge any of you for what you've done, what you've said, or what you've thought. Because the truth is, I don't know what all you've done, said, or thought. The reality is, you know what you've done, said, and thought, and you feel guilty. God doesn't want you to feel guilty. God loves you, even though he knows what you've done, said, and thought. God doesn't want you to feel guilty. God wants you to be forgiven. Forgiven. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, to make us his pure and holy people. If Jesus came back right now, how would he find you? Would he find you dirty, stinky, and unclean? Or would he find you dressed in white? A sacrifice that's a pleasing aroma to him. Someone washed clean by his blood. If Jesus came back right now, would he be pleased with the way you're living because you are pointing others to him? Being a Christian is not just about staying away from the bad stuff. It's about sharing the good news. What lost person in your life are you praying for to be saved? You know, you hear preachers talk a lot of times about people needing to be saved because they never know when the day of their death might arrive. But reality is also this. People need to be saved because we don't know when Jesus is going to come back. 
What unsaved friend are you serving in godliness this week to point towards the Lord? The blessed hope is blessed because it gives our life meaning and purpose now. We have hope that Jesus is changing us and will perfect us on the day of his return. We have hope that Jesus is still saving people and one day he will gather together all of his redeemed throughout all of the ages. Hold on to the promise with eagerness. And then third, hold on to the promise with endurance. Hold on to the promise with endurance. The Apostle Paul wrote the verses we've been studying this morning in Titus chapter 2. He wrote these words to a pastor named Titus who was serving a church on the island of Crete. I'm sure that Titus, in his Christian life, had the same thought we've all had at some point or another. And I'm sure because of the little reminder that we read in verse 15, these things speak and exhort and reprove with all authority. Let no one disregard you. I have the idea that Titus was disregarded a few times by some people. Titus quit talking about Jesus coming back. We know he's coming. Titus, yeah, Jesus could come back at any moment, but I got some things to do today before he does, so leave me alone. And Titus wasn't the first to be disregarded. Paul was the man who wrote this to him. Jesus himself was. And he wasn't the last. There are times that we encounter folks and we try to share the good news of Jesus with them and point them to the hope that's found in Christ, but they don't really want anything to do with it. There's times that as we go through life in this world, we're waiting and yearning and longing for Jesus to come back and things keep happening and we go, Jesus, where are you? And I'm not sure if it's a holy attitude, but it's an honest one that I've had before. Jesus, would you please just come back right now? Anybody ever had that? I'm not talking about the spiritual mindset like John in Revelation where he says, Jesus, come soon. I'm talking like you go, Jesus, I'm tired of putting up with this. Would you just come back? Have any of you ever prayed something like that out, out loud before? Maybe you just thought it in your mind, or is this just me? All right, honest moment of confession for me then, okay? You've probably been there before. You know when you've spoken with your friend about the good news that Jesus died for our sins and rose again, but they refuse to believe it again? You know when you lovingly challenge a fellow Christian to live their life in such a way that others will glorify our Heavenly Father, and then they try to snuff out your light while they're hiding their own under their bushel? Um, you know when you have that difficult, bold conversation with somebody? who refuses to heed God's warnings and disregards his word. And you just say, God, I'm ready for you to come back now, please. Do you know what we need to do at that point? We need to hold on to the promise with endurance. No matter what happens, Jesus is coming back. And if Jesus is coming back, then I can endure Endure whatever happens because he is my hope. Let me say that again for you. No matter what happens, Jesus is coming back. And if Jesus is coming back, then I can endure whatever happens because he is my hope. I've heard it said before that hope is not a strategy. It's really not. 
I understand the wisdom in that saying, and there's times to state it and apply it. But I want to share something a little different with you this morning. If your hope is in the coming of Jesus, it's better than a strategy. If your hope is in the coming of Jesus, your hope is sure to keep you going even when your best strategies fail. Hope in Jesus' coming determines our strategies, or at least it ought to. Are you holding on to the promise with endurance? Be wise, disciplined, and prudent in the way that you live your life, regardless of what others say or do, because Jesus is coming. It doesn't matter how much a non-Christian makes fun of the fact that we believe Jesus is literally coming to this earth again. When he comes, he's here. Set goals, make plans, develop strategies that are anchored in the hope that Jesus is coming. Let the blessed hope of Jesus and his return define and dictate the way you live your life. Keep living like he's coming today because one day he'll be here. Hold on to the promise with endurance. I've challenged you this morning to take hope in the coming of Jesus, to hold on to the promise of his return with expectancy and eagerness and endurance. But I want to ask you this question directly. Do you have hope in Jesus? Are you ready for his return? If he showed up right now, what would you say? What would you do? Would you run and hide? Would you run up to him? Because you love him and because you know he loves you. Jesus is coming. Have you been saved from your sins by trusting that Christ died on the cross for you and rose from the dead? Do you know that you have eternal life because you've given your life to Jesus as Lord? Before you can ever hold on to the promise of Jesus' return, you need to believe that he came to this earth, died on the cross for your sins, and rose again. If you are here today and you don't have hope in Jesus, but you want that hope, you can have it right here and right now. God's not going to keep you away from it. He's extending an invitation to you to receive it. Jesus has already done everything for you. You just need to receive the gift of salvation. If you want that hope today, would you pray to God something like this? God, I don't have hope. But God, I, I want hope. God, I don't know you. But God, I want to know you. I believe that your son Jesus is the only hope I have. I believe that he died on the cross for my sins and I believe that he rose again. I surrender my life to him. I want to let Jesus, the coming king, come into my heart and my life right now. If you prayed and asked Jesus to save you today, would you come and let me know during the time of response we're going to have in just a moment? If God has spoken to your heart in some other way this morning and you need to come and kneel down at these steps in prayer or you need to come forward and say, Jake, the Lord's put it on my heart. I need to be baptized. 
or I want to join this church, or Jake, God's not just called me to have hope in Jesus, but to take that hope to the world, and I want to surrender my life as a preacher or a missionary. Would you take hope in Jesus? I'll be standing down here in the front if you need to speak with me. This altar is open if you need to come and kneel in prayer. As God calls you today, will you respond to him with faith and obedience? Father God, we thank you so much for the way that you love us. We thank you for the hope that you've given to us through your son, Jesus Christ. And I pray that each and every person here today would take hope in him. God, we thank you for sending him to this earth to live as a man and to die for all mankind. Or we thank you that you've purchased our redemption and provided the way for salvation. God, I pray if there's somebody here today who hasn't yet believed in Jesus and given their life to him, that today they would find hope in him. We thank you, not just for the hope that we have that Jesus has come, but for the hope that we have that he is returning. May we look for and long for his appearing. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Would you stand and respond to the Lord during this time as he calls you?
given for us, Noel. Amen. I've got a few things to share with you, and then we'll be dismissed with one more song. Hasn't it been good to worship the Lord together this morning? Amen. Let's be mindful this Advent season of the hope we have in Jesus. If you picked up a copy of your bulletin this morning, and I hope you did, pun intended, there is a prayer guide inside of your bulletin for the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. Every dollar that is given uh, through this offering goes to support missionaries who are serving on the international mission field um, through the Southern Baptist Convention. So there's a prayer guide in there for you to pray over missionaries and ways that God is working these next eight days. Next Sunday, we'll have offering envelopes inside of your bulletins. Our church's goal is to send $8,000 to support the work of international missions um, leading up to Christmas. So give as the Lord leads you to do so. I hope that you will. I trust that you will because there's a world around us who needs the hope of Jesus Christ. So pray for our missionaries. Even if you cannot give a penny to this offering, you can pray. And so I want you to pray for these folks because prayer is really the fuel of missions. Money isn't. Money is a resource that we give to the Lord because he's given it to us. Prayer is what fuels missions. Jesus is the hope of the world and people need to hear about him. So pray over our international missionaries this week. Give to the Lottie Moon Christmas offering as the Lord leads you to do so. There's other announcements in your bulletin. Make sure to read through those. And there's also a church newsletter for, uh, for the Advent season, for Christmas events coming up. So, Steph, do you have one there? It's just a white big piece of paper laying on the tables there. If you can see what Steph's holding up, grab one of those on your way out. That'll keep you informed and updated as well. Let's be dismissed with this song. Sing all you people. Sing all you people, the Lord Almighty reigns. Sing every creature of God, come bless his name. For he is good. For he is good. For he is good. He was born to conquer the grave. Light of the world, the reason for Christmas Day. You're dismissed.